who Divine is? Uh, the the drag queen. Yeah, the drag queen. I couldn't remember if she was a drag queen or transgender, but she was in John Water movies, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, she was um, Tracy Turnblatt's mother in Hairspray. Ah. She was in Pink Flamingos, one of the most disgusting, trashy people <laughs> on the planet. Come to find out, girl's got a couple of albums. I actually did find that out over the weekend. Well, I knew that she had a song. She has two full albums. Well, shit. Have you listened to them? I only heard one song. It was actually pretty good. It was on a it's disco not- playlist. Yes, and like the albums are actually the perfect mix between disco and new wave. Yes, I did feel that. I fuck don't even remember. It's a Spotify playlist for disco, so you know it's like well, kind of car- garbage, but yeah. then like kind of really good. But it's good to know that Divine stuff is on Spotify. Yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna listen to the shit out of it. I watched a documentary. Ooh. on Divine that's on Netflix. Oh, and very informative. If if we can swing it, I would love to do an episode on You're him, like, but... I heard she does music, so I might be able to swing this as an excuse to talk I about her. I can. She has, she has at least like two just full two albums. albums. I could talk about... I mean, I talked about RuPaul and like... Exactly. Arguably. Man. RuPaul's very influential in the world. <laughs> that is a very diplomatic way of saying it. He is. He's very influential. He's very important. Yes. Period. Over. Period. Period. You know what? Yeah. Period. <laughs> yes. But I would argue that Divine was way beyond RuPaul and pretty much the exact opposite of RuPaul. Probably because she never became mainstream. Yeah, true. Honestly. Like she flirted with if, mainstream. If but anything goes, once something goes mainstream, it's done. You, it's lost. It's lost, which you will find out throughout these next two episodes. Mm. Welcome to Rock Candy. (laughs) Unintentional perfect segue. Segue. I did it. (laughs) You're home for weekly sweet treats of music and stories and tales. We're a podcast. I'm Maggie. (laughs) I'm Ashley. And yeah, I did a perfect segue. It was so perfect it made me forget how to introduce our own fucking show. (laughs) So you can't have it all, folks. Yeah, You can't have it all. Even after all this time, we're still... Still killing it. Sure. <laughs> killing something, aren't we? Our livers. Yep. Yes. And yeah, this is my week. And so is next week. I am going to be telling you all the story of disco to the best of my fucking ability. It's a hefty, hefty, hefty Sure, topic. Certainly not wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Definitely not. Why do we always reference a fucking garbage bag commercial? Because <laughs> we're trash. <laughs> That's why. Because we're trash. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, um, this has been an undertaking that I have been nervous to do. I um yeah, it's it's not an easy story to tell because there are so many moving parts to it. Yeah. And also a lot of like negative reaction from the world at large. Oh, yeah, yeah. No. I think um I'm gonna try to do my best to do like equal parts music, but also culture and cultural reactions because wowie wow wow I think now recently in the past couple years you know people have done this kind of revisit to disco and realized oh this oh we were homophobic and racist and sexist <laughs> and we did all of these things in response to disco Ooh, <laughs> I mean at the end of this 
I will be standing firm and saying, yo, motherfuckers are just trying to have a good time and people did not like other people having a good time. It's yeah. just like the story is the same now. Like, you know, back in 2016 when Pokemon Go came out and like all those people were like, man, I don't get people going to play Pokemon Go. It's like, shh, shh, shh. just let people enjoy like, things. Shut up. Just let people it enjoy things. It doesn't affect you. N- they ain't hurting nobody. No, in yeah. fact, they're getting exercise they wouldn't otherwise have gotten. So and it's the same with disco. So maybe Lots just of dancing. Yeah, just let people just let people enjoy things. Shut your stupid fucking hefty bag mouth and <laughs> let people your wimpy bag mouth. <laughs> let people be happy. Yeah, yeah. I think that's gonna be my theme for these two episodes. Is just let people be happy. Yeah, yeah. Be, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, up until you know, the man had to ruin it. <laughs> Come Sorry. on! I'm just. Which I'm, president am, was it? Yeah, which president? President wasn't <laughs> was it? Not it? <laughs> yes. All the presidents. Oh. All of them. It's corrupting the youth, I guess. Yeah. That's funny. Like, Tipper Gore wasn't like fuck disco. Oh, and she should have been. She should have been. Oh, I will show you just in this episode alone. She should have been. Yeah. Maybe she was. Yo, I bet anything that girl's a hypocrite and was dancing along to disco. She was snorting all the coke mm-hmm. and dancing on the tables and shit. She probably was. And then she was like, mm, I don't like heavy metal. That's not like disco. <laughs> and then she was like, but God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but God. <laughs> uh, and speaking of God, I'm now a believer because of the kismet that was finding this beer. Oh, yeah. This never happens. This never fucking happens. <laughs> we don't even have to play six degrees of beer. We don't. <laughs> we don't at all. It's it's amazing. And there's so many reasons. You know, we went out last Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And we're at our favorite, one of our favorite bars, Elixir 16. Shout we out. we are fat, fax, we're fatsinated. You know No, what? we're vaccinated. <laughs> we're fatsinated, too. We're both. We can be both. Yeah. That's fine. But I was just chilling. Looking at the beers that they had for sale, and I found La Puerta de la Discoteca from KCBC, Kings County Blues Collective, mm. who I thought only made IPAs. Because I've was... only ever, ever seen IPAs from yeah, them. Yeah, and their logo, if you've ever seen it, it's like KC and then BC separated by a hop. So you're like, oh, oh. it's just IPAs. Yeah. And their cans are all crazy. It's really hard to tell what's going on. <laughs> so you're just like, oh, it's an IPA. But this is a fruited goza and a very layered, interesting one. It's very to good. Boot. Yeah, it is with grapefruit, guava, chili and lime, and sea salt, which is, it's, it's a lot, but it's delicious. The chili yes. is a nice, like, after effect that doesn't burn your throat, and I enjoy that. So, yeah, no, this is a very good beer. I think it must be pretty new. So, if you see it around you and you like a nice goza, Goes to get yourself some. Get out. Never. <laughs> get the fuck out. Oh, yeah. No, this is uh, good times. I'm just, I'm just really excited that this beer worked out. I was like, son of a bitch, I have to buy this. <laughs> I mean, it just looked good. Period. Yeah, honestly. And the can's great. It's got these crazy birds dancing disco on it. In their little tight spandex. I know. They're having so much fun, which is just so disco. Such a disco mode. You disco bitches. Disco disco ducks. Actually, I don't see any. I don't see any disco ducks. Thank goodness. But I won't get into that until next episode. Yeah, they all kind of look like African greys on here. Oh, they might be. I think they're all African greys. Yeah. 
Delightful. Very. <laughs> but that's enough about the beer. Mm-hmm. Let's ride up into this bitch. Yeah, we got a lot to cover. All right. So before I start, let me cite my sources. Mm-hmm. First, I have The Secret Disco Revolution, which is a documentary. Um, it's available on Netflix. It's only an hour oh. and a half. It's really good. I love it because they interview, you know, DJs who were there and producers who were there. They also, you know, interview a lot of people like singers and um historians who know yeah. a lot about the time as well but then it's like interspersed with these really cheesy like what is that called when like i mean not reenactments but vignettes. just like yeah vignettes with like these three characters who are supposed to be like the founders of disco <laughs> it's really fucking corny oh, like they do with like history channel yeah shit. <laughs> yeah it's it's really cheesy I, <laughs> it can get really cheesy with like the historical like medieval times kind of reenactment oh my god yes i can only imagine what the disco was yeah it's it's very similar to that it's cute but it's i'm like okay guys a little heavy on that i could have done with like five more minutes of information as opposed to this cheese but right it's fine Mm -hmm. totally fine so my other source which is probably my more primary source Mm -hmm. was hot stuff disco and the remaking of american culture by alice eccles and I highly suggest this book. Mm-hmm. It is very interesting, very good. She does dabble a bit in the music side of things, but also a lot into the culture, mm-hmm. which, again, these are the two things I really want to focus on because it's it's amazing how much it affected and sent such a ripple effect down the history of music and, yeah, like, American culture afterwards. Mm-hmm. So really really good whether book. we like it or not we're still feeling the ripple effects of disco we will always feel the ripple yeah. effects of disco whether you fucking like it or not dude sorry um, i'm not i'm not at all and it's actually a pretty quick read it's easily accessible and it's not super long it's like the there's like a hundred pages worth of notes and stuff so and like resources so it's really only like 220 250 pages yeah so highly suggest if you can pick it up pick it up But with that said, allow me to jump into it. Ever since I was a kid, I have loved disco. Upon hearing songs like To Be Real by Cheryl Lynn and Hot Stuff by Donna Summer, the catchy beats and sweet vocals had me hooked. Mm -hmm. I remember getting Tragic Kingdom by No Doubt and unironically deciding their disco-inspired You Can Do It being my favorite track. (laughs) I even tried to choreograph a dance to it, and it was about as awful as you could fucking imagine. Yeah. I was 12. Yeah. I didn't know any better. Disco music is filled with so much energy and passion and is a source of uninhibited creative expression. Unfortunately, it has not been viewed that way by the general population, with the Disco Sucks moniker being tossed onto it by bitter radio DJs. And even the masses gathering to the extreme with Disco Demolition Night. Mm. Mm. The thing is, it was set up to fail before it even really got big from all sides. Rockers, R&B purists, and record execs alike all spent much of their energy trying to stop Disco from getting any validity. Until some of them realized they could profit from it anyway. But also their time would have been much much better spent just shaking their ass. Honestly, you know what? When in doubt, your time's better spent shaking your ass. Yeah. Yeah. The story of disco and what it represents ranges from love and freedom to consumerism and overindulgence. 
Soon enough, the former would be adopted by the mainstream to become the latter. Mm. And in this series, we're going to do our best to explain how an underground movement for the outcasts sold out to the corporate suits and mass produced to extinction. Sounds about right. Yeah. I know. I'm coming in kind of cynical. Sorry. I know. I must have been in a place when I was writing my notes. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been in a place. Yeah. And I'm like, I mean, it's not all bad. One does not simply explain where Disco came from. <laughs> Thanks, Gimli. <laughs> not Gimli. Uh, uh. Oh, thank you, Boromir. Excuse me. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> there are many factors that were perfectly stewed in a pot to create this cultural movement. It goes beyond the music. It goes into fashion, lifestyle, and overall attitude. In part, we can look to the Nazis for one of the reasons <laughs> that not only disco exists, <laughs> but clubs in general. Oh, because, you know, when you think of a rousing good time, I always think of the Nazis. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. No, no. I, I like to think that it's much to their bitterment that we, uh, <laughs> that this is... This is their fault. Yeah. <laughs> Back in World War II in France, while under Nazi occupation, all live music was banned because, you know, you got to stop any messages from getting out to the masses. Yeah. In lieu of that, they were playing records for their patrons to listen to. And they called places that house these events discotheque, which means a library of phonographic records. Mm-hmm. Even after the war, these establishments remained popular and even made their way to the U.S., where the name was just shortened to Disco. Isn't this kind of what Swing Kids was about? Sure. Did, did Have you seen Swing Kids? No. Holy fuck, Maggie. <laughs> I'm what sorry? What a fucking movie. All right. Yeah, but it's from what I can remember, it was about, you know, kids in immediately before Nazi occupation of Germany. Mm. Um, and so Christian Bale was in it and he's a blonde, which is probably his craziest transformation of his career. <laughs> yeah. Out of anything <laughs> Christian Bale's ever done, the blonde was just, whoa. Yeah. And eventually he becomes part of the Hitler youth. And, um, what's his face from fucking Dead Poets Society is also in Robin it. Robin Williams? Nope. The kid. He has three first names and I cannot remember Joseph a single one. Gordon Levitt? <laughs> no. <laughs> He only has two first names. You know, it doesn't matter. It's like Sean Patrick Leonard or something like that. Oh, I can't yes. fucking remember. Sean Leonard Patrick. <laughs> Leonard Patrick Sean. <laughs> one of those things. Yes. Um. But yeah, they ended up becoming like Hitler Youth. But like the one guy who was like, I'm never going to do it. I'm going to keep playing my mainstream records in this underground discotheque. He was Aww. also handicapped. So, you know, he was really cruising for a bruising. From wow. the Nazis. Wow. So watch Swing Kids. It's a great movie. That's best. You know what? Move over, Siskel and Ebert. We got Ashley. Yeah. <laughs> as far as the music itself, disco's roots are firmly planted throughout R&B, soul, funk, and jazz. Note all music cultivated by black Americans. No shit. Yes, shit. Hmm. Motown set out a blueprint of strings and bass that would later evolve into fast tempo beats, carrying the sounds of synthesized strings for all to dance to. Mm -hmm. Of course, the talent was clearly there, with amazing vocals and spot-on instrumentation, but the most powerful tool in Motown's arsenal was production. Mm -hmm. The people working behind the glass knew how to take a mediocre attempt and turn it into a best-selling album. 
This was a criticism of not only Motown, but would become a main argument against disco. The music wasn't about creating songs, but sounds. However, this is a pretty unfair way to look at producers. That is the dumbest argument I have ever heard in my life. Right, because many a great album was created due to an outside ear knowing where to let the song shine and where some assistance may be needed. Right. And what is a song but just a long string of pleasant sounds? Right. A good producer can, Most of the time. can make an album, a bad producer can break an album. Yeah. The general public doesn't seem to understand that not just anyone can be a producer. It does take a certain level of skill. Because just like a rock band can take a misstep and write a terrible album, a producer can misinterpret their material and over and or underproduce a song to shit. Yeah, how many times have we seen albums that could have been really good just like completely burn themselves up because of a shitty producer or an overbearing producer? And I mean, just like plenty of long-standing famous musicians have put out shit music, long-standing producers have put out shit albums. Yeah. So it's it's it can happen mm-hmm. anywhere. You know, it's it's you're not just looking at one element here with a band or with a producer or even with an artist. You're looking at so many different factions coming together. Yeah. So it's going to affect the album differently. Barry Gordy, founder of Motown Records, wanted their music to be, quote, sound of young America. And to the chagrin of some in the R&B biz, like Isaac Hayes, that meant creating something accessible to white folks as well. No matter how you want to look at it, this was a smart move, and that music sold to the masses. But something the white communities didn't know was the subtle racial messaging that came with some of the songs. Take Dancing in the Street by Martha and the Vandellas. Mm-hmm. It was 1965, and if you only listened to it on surface level, you'd think it's just about, hey, everybody, let's get together, have a good time in the neighborhood, we're gonna yeah. have a party, it's gonna be great. Every guy, grab every girl, girl everywhere around the, world. around the world. Yeah. I, I still prefer the um, version that is Mick Jagger music and- video without oh. music. Yes, by Mick Jagger. <laughs> by Mick Jagger and, David, and Bowie. David Bowie. Fair enough. Yeah. However, to those fighting for civil rights at the time, they knew that they were listening to a civil rights anthem. It encouraged black Americans to gather in unity and riot in the streets. Isn't it hilarious that two old white dudes then covered it in the 80s? Yes. Yeah. It, again, goes to show white people didn't know what it was about. No. Hmm. Surprise. <laughs> Many songs Motown was putting out in the 60s are filled with pre-disco elements, like Stevie Wonder's Superstition and The Supremes' You Keep Me Hanging On. Superstition's a fucking great That's me. That's my funk voice. It's your funky bass. That's my funky bass noises. (laughs) Also, your funky bait. That's how you reel them in. Oh, I'm reeling (laughs) with that funky bait. Songs with simple structures, but sophisticated melodies, and more importantly... The 4-4 beat drum pattern. The success of these songs didn't just mean a popularization of dance music, but increased expectations for black musicians, giving them a chance to be celebrated for music they wanted to create. Motown wanted to rid themselves of the need to cover songs penned by white artists, but instead perpetuate their own sound. Mm -hmm. As the 70s approached, you were seeing artists begin to dabble in more instrumentation. Thanks to Thomas Bell known for his work with bands like the Delphonics and the Stylistics, swelling orchestration became more common and went on to inspire other artists 
like the aforementioned Isaac Hayes. Mm. I like me a good orchestral swell. As you should. That's what I call my vagina. The orchestral swell. (laughs) Too much? Would mine be the hardcore breakdown? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Orchestral swell versus the The hardcore hardcore breakdown. breakdown. Who's going to win? Battle to the death. Wow. Why are vaginas fighting each other to the death? I don't know why. I mean, I guess they got beef. I don't know why. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) When Isaac went to work on soundtracks for Superfly and Shaft, he used a sound referred to as cinematic soul with lavish orchestration and a beat you could dance to. The theme from Shaft is sometimes referred to as an early disco song. And I'll play I would, a, I would definitely say so. Right? I will play a little just so y'all hear what I'm talking about. Who's the black private dick that's a sex machine to all the chicks? Damn right. Who is a man that would risk his neck for his brother man? Can you dig it? I can dig it. I can dig it. That is that is a Funky little waka 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 waka. <laughs> Anytime somebody says, "Can you dig it?" I think of the Warriors. Which, like another one you have it. not seen. <laughs> All I know is Warriors come out and play. Yeah. There's another <laughs> character who's like addressing all the gangs in New York City, and he's like, "Can you dig it?" Oh, I didn't know that was from Warriors. Yeah, that's from Warriors. Oh, okay. As disco would continue to grow in popularity, many would deem it as quote soulless soul. Claiming that funk is real black music played by real black musicians. Who is saying this? You know, people. People that don't know shit? I mean... People that need to get the fuck out of my house? Yeah, people who <laughs> need to get the fuck out of your house. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of layers to it. I mean, it's we're starting to see, you know, the early divisions of people not liking disco and not seeing it as substantial as... You know, like funk or rock or whatever. I feel like because disco, of production, disco is kind of like the precursor to things like like bubblegum pop. It is, and it is their and, it is their grandmother and for new metal. sure. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah, kind of like new metal. It's their grandma, but also disco is fucking fantastic. New metal, just no. It's oh not. yeah, no. New metal is like the really angsty teenager that they had, and they're like, "I'll just wait for this phase to end." It's gone. Yep. Great. Nickelback, you didn't grow out of it. Okay. You still like Papa Roach? I mean, all right. Yeah. Good. All right. Not. Hey. You know what? It's, you know it's what? fine. Just, it's fine. We don't need to hang out. We don't. <laughs> Look, there are times where the distinction between disco and funk have been hard to see. Like, again, when I said, like, Superstition had that funky little... And then you have, like, the funky little... from. <laughs> Do you like all the <laughs> instrument noises I'm trying desperately to make? Yeah. But, yeah, in Shaft. And, like, that's definitely, like, a, like... Right, but right around the corner from disco. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, people are like, okay, okay. Well, now you're just taking the piss. Yeah. 
But there's a lot of differences that became noticeable. Firstly, the 4-4 beat is more tied to disco, whereas funk really tends to treat the tempo more like the heartbeat of the song. Mm -hmm. So, like, when you hear a funk song, it's all, like, centered around the beat, whereas... With disco, it's like the beat is simply there to keep time. The f- with a funk beat, when you move your head to it, it mm-hmm. goes back. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It goes back on the beat. With disco, it goes forward on the beat. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know what you mean, and it's actually a really good description of right? that. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, well, that's all right. That's how it goes. She's not wrong, folks. But as far as subject matter, the two styles deviated greatly. Funk keeping with the desires of the male whereas disco found itself being a little more concerned with female-centered sexuality. Hell yeah. Honestly, disco in general was pretty free with the subject of sex in general. Mm-hmm. Like, they weren't even shy about being like, yo, we gonna fuck tonight. Like, <laughs> you know, like, funk and rock would be like, mm, metaphors about having sex with the lady, but you better make me feel good. Whereas disco's like, yeah, we gonna fuck. Lady, it's all about your vagina. What do you like? <laughs> Tell me how to do it. And that's the difference. And that's the end of our series. There you go. (laughs) It's about fucking. It's just about fucking, but like really blatantly. Again, Isaac was experimenting with instrumentation, making it a heavier focus with hints of lounge music kind of mixed with R&B. But beyond that, he wasn't afraid to show everyone that he was a proud black man with the cover of his album, Hot Buttered Soul. (laughs) I love the name of this album. It makes me want toast. Oh, my God. Right? Mm, a nice bagel with melted butter on mm. it. Why do we always talk about food? I don't know. <gasps> Fascinated. <laughs> Fascinated by food. <laughs> but it featured Isaac himself shirtless with gold chains and the top of his bald head in center focus and his name Isaac Hayes across Here it. Here for it. But also, like, Shaft was the theme to a song. Or yeah. a theme to a, a movie. show. A movie? Yeah. It was a show, too, wasn't it? I don't know. No. I'm thinking of something else. But it was at least a movie. It was a movie. And <laughs> the theme was, like, pretty blatant. Like, I'm a fuck you. I'm a, you damn right. Right? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? <laughs> I can. But overall, like, this album cover was a really bold move at the time because most record buyers were used to fully clothed artists smiling cheerfully on the cover. Think about it. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. despite color, like, you would have, like, the Temptations all on it and their suits smiling. You'd have the Rolling Stones maybe not smiling, but they're, like, all fully clothed. Like, yeah, I guess we're fucking here. (laughs) Hi, we're the Rolling fucking Stones. Isaac was masculine, but tender. With the mix of his smooth, baritone voice and his soulful sounds, he became a definitive bridge to disco. That makes sense. He wasn't the only one bringing the steam, though, when it came to some sweet jams. By the early 70s, he was going head-to-head with Mr. Barry White. I imagine you are all very well aware that Barry White equals sex. Battle of the baritones. Mm, Battle of, yeah. Yeah. I'm here for it. (laughs) And his music is used in pop culture to insinuate sexy times are coming your way. Oh, definitely. Yeah, you can't hear a Barry White song and not be like, oh, they fucking. <laughs> Ooh, somebody's getting laid tonight. Oh. Yep. They put Barry on. My darling, I <laughs> can't get enough of your little baby. That is as baritone as I get. Yeah. Sorry. Sharing the same smooth baritone as Isaac, and even the desire to put his woman's pleasure first, Barry's music became 
quintessential on the dance floor. His song Love's Theme became a hot track early on and would help shape the sound of disco. But the funny thing is, his record for Love's Theme was deemed garbage and the record label was going to throw it out. But bullshit. before this could happen, one of the promoters had his friends visiting his office and they were just DJs in the New York City scene. And he brought himself a hefty bag. And they brought hefty, hefty, <laughs> hefty. Because their boxes were wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. <laughs> Never going to get old. But they saw this box of records and they were like looking at them and like, these look kind of cool. And they're like, whatever, it's trash. And his friends are like, well, can we take them? He's like, I don't give a shit. So nice. They took the records off his hands and ended up with a gold mine of dance floor content. And Barry White is not an exception. They would play Love's Theme and bitches would go crazy for it. Mm-hmm. And here is where I kind of want to stray away, though, from the focus of the music itself and get into what really made disco popular. Because you'll soon discover, surprise, surprise, it wasn't because of label execs. Hmm. So when was Isaac Hayes and Barry white coming out like 71 72 73 i think okay. love steam was 73 shaft was 71 okay so it was the early 70s so it was like just after motown kind of oh yeah it, like it was out. definitely like isaac hayes is a definite like shift from motown into disco mm-hmm. like i i stand by my um belief that he is like the bridge of mm-hmm. motown to disco As pretty much anyone knows, the 60s were known as a time of peace and love and the courage of protesters. It helped break the expectations to know our roles that society deemed us. Protest songs were celebrated and broke through genres from folk to rock to Mm R&B. But in the 70s, there was a great disappointment felt after the summer of love was discovered to basically be bullshit that left hippie culture mostly broke and destitute. Mm -hmm. So everybody's like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? Let's also acknowledge a few other heavy societal issues here, shall we? Like okay. economic recession, mm-hmm. uh, the deindustrialization of the states causing massive job loss, um, the gas shortage, civil rights still being fought for, and second wave feminism on the rise. This, and that's just to name a few things. This this sounds like 2021. Ha. <laughs> It's like history repeats itself because nothing ever changes. Yeah, it's almost like we never learn our fucking lessons. It's almost like we just keep electing the same pieces of bullshit into office, but that's for another podcast. I don't even want to do that podcast. I'm so (laughs) tired just thinking about it. Yeah. At this point, everyone was tired, sick of feeling stuck in their dead-end lives, disillusioned with their government, and even exasperated with fighting the good fight. The promises of the 60s were such a letdown that the thought of going back to that was not a pleasant one. And with that, the desire for escapism was strong within the general public. A way to unwind after spending 40 plus hours of your week at a job you hate with people you wish would eat glass? Enter the nightclubs. A place of unity and sweaty dancing. Mm, This is the exact trajectory that Jenny went on in Forrest Gump. Except nothing ever worked out didn't she die of like hep c or something she had aids oh yeah she had aids <laughs> oh fuck she had aids <laughs> she had full-blown aids <laughs> right did the kid have aids you know what nope not for this podcast i do not believe the child had aids in the canon of forrest gump <laughs> good to know <laughs> it 
wasn't out of a coincidence that all of these clubs began to sprout out around the same time, starting in New York City. No, no. This began after a little incident called Stonewall. But Ah. here is my Reader's Digest version of events, because I got to go back a little bit. Stonewall is quite important. Yes, very important to disco. It's it's important, too. It's important. (laughs) With the end of Prohibition in the 30s, New York, of course, decided to put strict regulations in place with the State Liquor Authority. And many... You all right? State Liquor Authority? My boyfriend used to work for that. I know. That's why I, I, thought of, I thought of Mike when I was writing these. So they would deem any establishment with queer patrons as disorderly and would target gay-friendly bars. And let me guess, they could deem anybody queer at any time in any place that they really felt they wanted to. Well, a big thing was about the dancing. Mm-hmm. So bars around the country went full footloose and forbade dancing to the clientele. And as the decades passed, places like San Fran and D.C. would loosen up on these laws. But New York City was still super homophobic and the bars were subject to constant raids. Mm-hmm. So most clubs would be you know, they'd be kind of dancing. Some places might get like a little frisky, you but just, if they knew the cops were coming, it would just be like a flicker of the lights or they'd stop the music or they would give some kind of cue, like, sit the fuck down, the cops yeah. are here. It would be like that, like, really kind of uninterested look and like shaking your shoulders a little bit and just right. staying in one spot and not really moving, but. You like know. looking at each other from across the bar and be like, I think we like each other. We can't act like we like each other, though. <laughs> God, that must have been fucking terrible. Upon discovering how much money they could make, Stonewall was opened up in 1967 by mobsters, the Genovese family. And here, they couldn't care less about the rules. Dance your ass off until the police came. Whatever. As long as they were making money, they didn't give a shit. Well, half the time they were just paying off the cops anyway, and the cops would usually let them know if they were going to get raided. Right. Stonewall was subject to many a raid. And after two years of this... Enough was enough, and finally the patrons fought back, thus telling police across the country they were no longer going to submit to this unfair treatment. So, in the aftermath of the riots, with no more Stonewall to express themselves at, the Gay Liberation Front was established, and they would host weekend dance parties. And most of the time they're playing psychedelic rock all night for attendees to dance and sway to. These became very popular and were opening up all over the place. Now, something to keep in mind is that opening an establishment costs money. Mm-hmm. And you know what else costs money? Live bands. Yeah. So, in order to keep costs low, most places would hire DJ to spin records all night for dancing. Way cheaper to pay one dude to play fucking records than a five-member band. Yeah. Member. Five-member bands. Other places would save even more money by just having a jukebox there. Shit, they were making money. True. And one of the most famous gay establishments, which was really just an invite-only party at somebody's apartment, was called The Loft, run by David Minusco. It all started on Valentine's Day 1970, where guests came and danced well into the next day. Like, I'm talking 2 p.m. the next day. Mm -hmm. No booze was served, just acid-spiked punch. And all the money he earned (laughs) went Totally doesn't need to be regulated or anything. No. Here, have some acid punch. I okay. Okay. But yeah, uh, rent parties were pretty common back then and even encouraged by landlords. So come on over. Give me some cash. I can pay rent. We can keep hosting these parties. Charge a door fee. Yep. There you go. 
got my mortgage paid for the month. Perfect. The vibe was heavily influenced by parties he had been to in Harlem, which saw a more beat-heavy dance music scene and, like, less psychedelic 60s. Mm-hmm. DJs began to stray away from such loose-form music like rock and began to dabble more in tunes that had a steady beat you could really tap your foot to. R&B, funk, and even world music began to take over the speakers hmm. at these clubs. One of the first and biggest hits was Soul Makosa by Manu Dibano. And I'm going to give you a little, little taste of what that sounds like. I felt like I needed to end it on that because y'all know that. I, first of all, have things I need to say about this video. <laughs> about the dick video? <laughs> so swinging dick? Yeah. So like there's, in, in one part of the video, there's just a dude dressed up as a woman and he's wearing a very flowy skirt, but he's clearly not wearing any oh, underwear. Oh no, he's not. No underwear. He's just swinging his hips and boy, can you see some things. Oh yeah. Good for him. I'm kind of here for it, though. Yeah. Good for you know him. What? I like it. But yeah, I, I uh, realized I didn't have it queued up perfectly, so I had to bring up to that other part, mm -hmm. uh, because as we all know, the uh, Mama Say, Mama So, Mama Sa. Mama Cosa. Yeah. Michael Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. He got real sued for that. Oh, did he? Oh, he got super sued, because mm -hmm. he did not ask for permission. Yeah. Yeah. You're not infallible, and you're, you're not, not invincible. No. Sir not. Michael. Anyway, so this album was first released in France in 1972, and a stray vinyl just happened to be picked up by David Minusco in a record store. So he brought it back to his place, played it for his parties, and it became a solid fucking hit every party. It's a fucking jam. It is a fucking jazam. Mm -hmm. The following year... The record was properly released in the States and landed at number 35 in the Billboard Hot 100. That's it, nothing to shake a stick at. It is something to shake a stick at. Sure. <laughs> it amazed Manu Dibano, a Cameroon saxophonist who recorded it as a B-side to a song he wrote for the Cameroon football team. Football meaning soccer. Yeah. Nice. I know you know. Also, that's like a pretty fucking legit sax forward song that is an amazingly legit sax forward song yeah another very important gay club was called sanctuary held in an old church in new york city's health kitchen district i love all of this oh guess just 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 fucking wait <laughs> just fucking wait many normies found the overtly gay slash satanic imagery offensive like <laughs> pornographic murals of the devil surrounded by cherubs doing it in different positions. I love this. Why does this not exist now? Which I all I can think of is the birdcage when the parents are looking at the plates and like, oh, they're little angels. Are they, are they playing, are they playing games? <laughs> That's all I can think of. After all this time of being discriminated against and living in the closet, the gay community was finally expressing themselves and fighting back against the sexual oppression 
not only put on them, but everyone in the country. Yep. Puritans. Puritans. The music they were listening to was a joyful celebration of their freedom, and the DJ was their guide for a night of poppers and sweet beats. Damn, did they love their poppers. The more popular this was becoming, the more things the DJs found they kind of needed to troubleshoot. The breaks between records, for one. Once a record stopped, there was those awkward moments before the next one would play. Scramble to put the other one on. Well, it was on. It just you had to wait. And so, like, the dancers <laughs> would kind of just stand around like a John Travolta gif, wondering what to do with themselves. Yeah. <laughs> huh? Huh? It was at the sanctuary where a DJ named Francis Grasso introduced slip cueing. Before a record would finish, Francis would hold the next record in place at the exact spot on the record that he wanted to start so that the next song could start immediately. And from there, they actually started to learn how to, like... Do two at a time and... And kind of, like, yeah, like, like blend them almost into, like, each other and, like, have, like, the beats match up. And and it really... And that's how, like, the art form of DJing really got started. It's the beginning of modern DJing. It really is. Just in case you're a big Electronica fan and you scoff at uh, disco, just letting you know that. You're an Electronica fan. How dare you? How dare you? The endless beats, flashing lights, drug-addled bodies smashing into each other gave a different sensation. (laughs) Just picturing them just hitting each other. (laughs) Arms down, hitting each other on the dance floor. Oh, see, I was picturing the arms kind of flopping around. It's like dead fish just flopping on each other. (laughs) I mean, probably looked i don't know if it looked better i think it might have i don't know it might have to be high i just like that image well this all gave a different sensation than what you got in 60s hipper hippie culture this was another worldliness but it was living in the now not trying to find yourself but living with yourself and everyone else in the current moment not worrying about tomorrow just total escapism being real goth garth algar about it yeah live in the now live in the now Just for a bit of foreshadowing, as word got out about these fantastic nights to the masses, even heterosexuals wanted in. Straight men were even willing to get over being hit on in order to party all night. Well, leave it to the straight men to want to horn in on everything fun. Yeah. Just ruin it. Yeah. It's like a theme. (laughs) However, it was kind of killing the vibe for some of the gay attendees who, like, you know wanted to find a gay guy to fuck yeah i bet there was at least a couple of them who were like nah straight guys though oh yeah no some def i mean i'm sure some loved the oh yeah the sport (laughs) i'm sure some though were like come on so they began to make some of these clubs exclusively gay okay even the women who had been beards to these men in the past were turned away and slowly one would notice other kinds of exclusivity not only based on sexuality and gender, but on race, too. It would become unfortunate hmm. that these minority groups would actively avoid banning together, as even in this early stage, disco was becoming a target. Man, just, like, imagine being a minority of a minority. Yeah. That's fucking bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I empathize. My heart goes out to those people. But, like, why, why, why we gotta be assholes? Just let people, again, just let people have a good time. Yeah. Let people enjoy things. Yeah. Weird. Female artists began to turn to disco for self-expression. Not only were men singing about making the night all about their ladies' pleasure, but women were singing about what they wanted for themselves, not some man. Yeah. 
But let's stop for a minute and be honest. It's still a man's world. And rock is the masculine making pop the feminine. Mm -hmm. The former overtook the latter in the 60s and wanted to be taken seriously as an art form with meaningful messages. Because you got like Dylan and the Beatles and like everything so So counterculture. Yeah, man. When disco came out, rockers all over screamed into the abyss that pop was back louder than ever with more formulaic beats and lame lyrics to ruin music. I mean, this is how they acted at least. Yeah. Completely dismissing where disco came from and the fact that the genre itself was about experimentation and freedom. It can be argued, though, that one of their biggest issues was that disco is dance music. And there's little more that a white rocker dude from back in the day hates more than to dance. (laughs) They don't want to put themselves out there and they don't want to look effeminate. So they avoid it and pan the music as meaningless. However, this... Movement. I feel threatened, so this is all meaningless. Honestly, I'm saying it like how I see it. I think a lot of men, like straight white dudes, felt threatened. Yeah, that absolutely. People in different, um, you know, groups are like doing their own thing and finding empowerment through it. And mm-hmm. like white rocker dudes are like, no man, like we're the fucking we're number one. Yeah, they don't want anyone else to come up to that. And also, their lady friends are really into it so they're like fuck this shit taking my lady i ain't no mo however this movement is the complete opposite disco is so many things the result of black musicians expressing themselves a symbol for the gay community of freedom and an outlet for female empowerment especially women of color it's not just that the singer was some diva she was ruling the dance floor with her captivating voice bringing you into her world where you fully empathize with her story. Whether sad or happy, the music brought all listening to a blissful pleasure, a unity on the dance floor where all could join in. And she looked damn sexy when she, she was doing damn it. damn sexy. Fucking right. <laughs> you could look at disco as feminine, but not in any part due to weakness, but because conventional masculinity is aggressive, to a disturbing point. Mm-hmm. And I want to take this moment to read a section of the Hot Ooh. Stuff book because it's a little bit of a paragraph and I didn't want to type it out. So I brought my book out. <laughs> and uh, please just um, sit, for, sit for me while I do this reading from a book. Writing at the height of the disco craze, critic and gay liberationist Richard Dyer came, claimed that disco, quote, releases you in an open-ended succession of repetitions that operated in contrast to rock, whose, quote, repetitive phrase, repeated phrases trap you in their relentless push. To Dyer, Disco's rhythmic complexity and play, its delaying, jumping, countering of rhythm, encouraged, quote, whole-body eroticism, as opposed to, quote, the thrusting and grinding he identified with rock music. <laughs> thrusting and grinding. So, I mean, I just liked this passage because it, it puts it so perfectly that... Disco is sexual and you're using your body and you're celebrating your body and you're understanding your body and you're understanding the person you're dancing with. Whereas rock is all led by the dude who's going to thrust and grind on you till he's taken care of. It's aggressive and it's kind of creepy. Rock's kind of just the jackhammer of the power tool world, I suppose. Yeah, like I feel like disco is a lot more. Disco is a sanding belt. 
it's like smooths things out smooths things out it like creates some friction some nice like you got to know how to use that thing to get the the correct uh results and you know what like rock is really about like this immediate gratification whereas disco's a build yeah. Yo, like you're there for a minute. You're not like same just... with a belt sander. You're there for a hot second till you get it the way it needs to be. <laughs> Is this tool time? <laughs> uh? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I love it. Just, your your just, metaphors are spot on. Just tonight. trying to create a metaphor that the men who listen to this will understand. I guess. Hashtag not all men that listen to God. us. <laughs> Absolutely not <laughs> all men that listen Definitely to us. Not. Man, y'all put up with a lot of our bullshit. Anyway, for women, this was a way to present themselves as glamorous and independent, not simply some man's toy, dressing to the nine in gowns. Under a shiny disco ball, dancing to songs that were concerned about their pleasures. Mm-hmm. And this didn't happen overnight. While male performers were comfortable with bearing some skin and singing about some adult themes, women needed to test the waters a little bit. And one of the first to do so was record producer executive, moonlighting as a singer, Sylvia Robinson. Hmm. And this woman was no fool. Later on in that decade, she would start Sugar Hill Records and help launch the start of the Sugar Hill Gang, making her one of the early pioneers of rap music. Seriously. Like, she saw rap music was happening. She's like, I'm in. Yeah. You son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> but before then, she would see the potential in disco and dabbled just a bit. She saw that there was a lack of women in Sexy Times Disco, and she wanted to record an album of her own, so she did. She did on her own label called Pillow Talk. Do it. She really is branding herself as like a female um, Isaac Hayes yeah, or Barry, or Barry White. White. She's like, come on, boy. Yeah. Put your stop sign down. This- Let's fucking make this happen. <laughs> you know, she she's was- singing about a crossing guard. <laughs> there it is. Okay. Um, yeah, no, she... Um, this is definitely one of the first women, I feel like, to really just come out and be like, yo, I want to fuck. Yeah. I mean, before you had women like Lil' Kim and Missy Elliott, you had Sylvia. Right. And before her, it was like Motown girl groups like the Supremes. Right. And- who were definitely kind of like dabbling in like the, I'd like to, you know, have a relationship with like you. Like Shy Kitten. 
Yeah, like almost. Um, like, this is like sex kitten. Yeah. And I didn't really get to the parts, but she's doing a little bit of like. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> she she gets kind of sexual on the record. Mm-hmm. And the album's namesake was released as a single. Radio stations were actually kind of hesitant to play it because of these like breathy orgasmic sounds throughout wow. it. Have you heard of a lady called Donna Summer? Oh, just just you wait. Just you wait. But I mean, this was only 1973. The people weren't ready. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, she was like, come on. If men can be sexy, why can't I? Mm-hmm. Eventually, the record took hold with the masses and no longer could the radio stations ignore her. Pillow Talk reached number one in the R&B charts for two weeks in a row. Dang. And in this, Sylvia showed that women can take charge and that sexuality is not something you gotta hide. This wasn't the first time that disco had to fight for airplay, though. In the early days, it just wasn't heard on the radio. It wasn't something that the record labels, billboard charts, or radio stations took seriously. This was strictly club music. This was strictly club music. Mm -hmm. Strictly 80s, Joel. But it was only something that could be ignored for so long before the clubs came in to make a change. Mm -hmm. When a certain record really vibed at a club... Everyone would ask what it was and go out the next day to buy it. Soon enough, you're seeing Gloria Gaynor's Never Could Say Goodbye selling 20,000 copies a week, rising up in the billboard charts, but there was no radio play. Mm -hmm. And now you have these execs who are saying, well, wait, why the hell is this record going up, but like it's not getting radio play? The whole process was backwards. Instead of radio telling the people what to listen to, the people are telling the radio what to play. And from there... It was up to the execs at radio and labels to work with DJs to kind of know what was really, really hot right now. And then the executives' eyes turned into flashing money signs. Yeah, they were starting. Yeah. Yeah. They were just little. They they just shined in their eyes a little bit. Yeah. And Started it wasn't with like just a couple coins. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> just twirling coins. And then a few years later, ching, ching, gigantic flashing yeah. diamond dollar signs. Yes, exactly. This was almost to the detriment of radio, as disco songs tended to be on the longer side, which meant less time for ads. Prog disco. I mean, disco itself is a bit <laughs> progish, I guess. Songs They're telling in- you a story of how horny they are. Yeah. Yep. It's a long story. I mean, again, disco's different from rock. They're not about immediate gratification. They're like, let's Make work you on wait. this. Foreplay. fucking, yeah. They're about foreplay, which is why this is a feminine music. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Shots fired. Songs increased in length, both for the benefit of the DJ, who could use a 15-minute track to grab a sandwich or to take a leak, as well as couples looking for a solid jam to bone to that was longer than the usual three-minute pump and dump. Yeah. DJ's mm-hmm. gotta pee. Baby's gotta get its beak wet, I yeah. guess. Well, baby bird's trying to get its beak wet. Yep. With its growing popularity, a brand began to began to latch itself onto the genre. The word disco proper was not used until like 1973, 1974, hmm. when magazines like The New Yorker and Rolling Stone bestowed it onto the genre. Just all of a sudden, they're like, oh, disco music. And they're like, I guess we're disco now. I assume it's from discotheque. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, it makes sense. It, the word itself works perfectly as a place of playing records. So yeah. yeah. And that's what it was from there out. Even if some artists deemed themselves more along the lines of R&B or soul or funk, they would start to get classified as disco, and some would be really pissed about it, like, man, I'm not disco. <laughs> Casey, 
from Casey and the Sunshine Band was like, I'm like R&B. And I'm like, no, you're a fucking white boy from Florida and all your songs sound the same. You're disco. Also, you're not that good. So you're not good. Like, honestly, I don't even want to call you disco. I kind of just want to call you like novelty bullshit. I'm just going to call him and tell him to sit down. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to call him sit down. <laughs> sit down music. Sit down, you funky white boy. Mm, sure. Not even that funky. He's not. Once it was named and getting radio airplay, disco was climbing up in popularity quickly. And as much notoriety as it was getting, it can be argued it didn't really have its place on the map until Giorgio Mordere teamed up with Donna Summer in 1975 to create the steamy hit that we all know as Love to Love Ya, Baby. Finally, the fucking queen. boned i mean <laughs> that's sexy and all but have you seen her as aunt una from altoona on family matters <laughs> do you remember that <laughs> very vaguely <laughs> they really much. did a she's the man plot line with her they like made her into like this super like dour and, oh, and yes. like super mousy and shy woman and then all of a sudden i think she did like a singing competition or something yeah that makes and sense and then all of a sudden everyone realizes she has this amazing voice and she's fantastic aunt una from altoona man hot stuff baby, baby. this evening she's a bad girl <laughs> we could go all night guys but also this song i know she would love to love you for the last dance tonight it's always tonight it's always tonight we don't have tomorrow again they are living in the moment escapism gotta escape to macarthur park oh my god i'll never have that recipe again (laughs) oh no (laughs) they had met when donna went to work with giorgio and peter Bellette as a backup singer both men had already seen a lot of success in the euro disco scene euro disco sees a little less in the terms of, like, the swelling instrumental and a little bit more with, like, tempo, rhythm, and synths. Giorgio himself is credited as pioneering Eurodisco as well as electronic music in general. That mofo still mixes amazing things today. I mean, he's worked with Daft Punk. Jesus. Yeah, he's worked with... He's even worked with Sia. Oh, shit. There's, like, other so many other artists he's worked with recently that I can't think of right now. But he makes amazing house music. Hmm. Love Giorgio Mordere. And also, did not know this till I did my research, he apparently did some of the soundtrack to Neverending Story, including <gasps> the, the, the music for The Swamp of Sadness. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, I wouldn't listen. Well, also, I started to listen to it and I was like, I can't. 
But also, never ending story. Ah, I mean, and you didn't do that song. Never ending story. <laughs> well, I'm doing it now, so. Yes, she is. Turn around. <laughs> Tell me what you see. Okay, I'm done. I'm sorry. Don't tell me never-ending story and expect me <laughs> not, not to sing it. Fair enough. Wanting to get something really sexy on the airwaves that's not never-ending story. Giorgio. <laughs> Are you telling me never-ending story? A, a movie about children is not sexy? No. It's not. <laughs> it's not at all. <laughs> Unless you're really into luck dragons. I don't I know. Maybe you are. I'll let you have that. Or big, strong hands. Anyway, no more Never Ending Story. We're done. <laughs> okay, fine. Okay. Giorgio came up with a solid beat, and Donna came up with lyrics. I mean, mostly it was just love to love you, baby. Yeah, that's... But, yeah. No. But, it was, but it was missing something. So oh. he asked her if she could just make up some solid orgasm noises that he could just toss in there. And she was just like, yeah, I can do that. Well, it actually took some convincing, but Donna finally did it and just figured, like, all right, we'll just, you know, this is the demo. We're going to give it to somebody else. So what they did is they turned out all the lights in the studio room and everybody like just left and she was just alone to do it by herself because she was too embarrassed otherwise. Yeah. So she like just like recorded for like. I would still feel like a I think, fucking like, idiot. Yeah. I think like she recorded for like nine minutes or something ridiculous. Like <laughs> we're just recording herself like making orgasm noises. Hey, maybe they were real. Mm. I mean, I don't know. Uh, in an interview, like, did you touch yourself? And I'm like, well, first of all, that's rude. But yeah. second of all, she's like, I touched my knee. <laughs> like, okay. I, I mean, like, I don't you know. don't need to say anything. I else. mean, honestly, too. Like, I'm sorry. Do you think women can't fake it? They kind of do it. It's all the in time. our DNA, <laughs> sir, sir, sir. <laughs> we were born with the ability to fake it. You're welcome. Well, it turned out it wasn't the demo. They actually decided to release the song as it was. And it was controversial in all the right ways. Mm. It climbed up to number two in the mainstream pop charts, making it undeniable that disco was here to be taken seriously. Mm. Super serious, guys. To Donna's disappointment, many saw this as a novelty song and thought she was just some mindless sex doll with no real singing talents. And I mean... I will say this. This is, like, her least talented, like, singing example. It's, yeah, it's the she least has, exemplary of yeah. her And it's not voice. it's not bad by any means. I think no. it's good. Like, that's a compliment because her singing voice is amazing. So if this, in my opinion, is, like, not her best. And it's also and it's a still demo. it's really good. Yeah, and it's also a demo. Well, I think they, they ended up producing it. But, yeah, I mean. Right. But, but she was like, still singing and making solid orgasm noises. Right. Oh, shit. Good for her. She didn't have to do that over again. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Most criticism was coming from, you guessed it, conservative America, who were viewing disco as nothing more than pollution for the ears and feared the culture was becoming one big, dirty joke. Big, dirty joke. I don't like dirty jokes. I mean, again, Tipper Gore should have been against this song. She should have been. She didn't like Darling Nikki. Ooh. (laughs) We always look back about 20 years or so in the past. So at this point, America was nostalgic for the 50s. Oh, like God. right now, we're nostalgic for the late 90s, early 20, early 2000s. Holy shit. We are. I literally just saw a video of a TikTok of a girl who's like, this is why I wish it was still the 2000s. And it was like, 
emo kids, knee-high converse, snake bite piercings, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, nobody wants it to be the 2000s again. No. Nobody. Nobody. We can skip that. Stop it. We can skip 2000s. Stop it. So, but yeah, so back in the 70s, they're like, oh man, leave it to Beaver and Happy Days and like the Carpenters. (laughs) Like you have all that. Well, actually, leave it to Beaver was the 50s. But you know, you have all this stuff that's, you know, glorifying 50s culture Mm -hmm. and making everybody really wish for those halcyon days. Mm. But this sexy, fast paced music was a little bit more than they could handle. Slightly in the future. Slightly. It was 1975, and the hustle was now the dance all the kids were doing. Yeah, the hustle. That was my version of the hustle. Do the hustle. Do the hustle. Do the hustle. It's not as good as my never-ending story. I'm sorry. I could do a mashup. It'll be great. Oh, that would be fantastic. Never-ending hustle. So... Something to keep in mind is that before this, throughout the 50s and 60s, dancing was fine, but the dances were all solo dances. Like, you had, like, the twist and things like that, so it wasn't really with a partner. Mm -hmm. So you may think conservatives would find this scandalous, but it actually ended up being the one thing that they found to be a return to wholesome values. Because it's a coordinated dance, like the Lindy Hop or, like, a swing dance. Where you have a partner and you're kind of expected to communicate and like a man leads and a woman follows. Bah, 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 uh-huh. bah. So for them, it's like, oh, well, this 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 checks. This is fine because, you know, you're this following makes sense wholesome. to my very narrow view of what wholesome is. Yes. OK. So, yeah, the hustle is as corny as you think it is. However, according to the documentary I watched, it apparently originated out of Hispanic gay culture, specifically the savage skulls from the Bronx. Now. I tried to look this up and find, like... What are the Savage Skulls? They were a Hispanic gang in the Bronx. Cool. Yeah. But I don't really know what it means that they originated the hustle, so I was trying to look it up online. I couldn't find anything. Is there a gang that dances? This I don't is know. So is, fascinating. This, is this West Side is, Story? I was just going to say, is this some fucking West Side Story shit? Where I are the sharks know. and the jets here? I don't know. Who's the sharks? Who's the jets? Nobody knows. Yeah. So I am not 100% sure how legit that information is again i saw it in the doc not sure if it's real if anyone has any information about this and can educate me i am more than happy to hear about Mm. it please so anyone can feel free to write in and let me know so as a culture disco was encouraging the misfits to be themselves and to do it proudly i want danzig to be himself too sorry (laughs) uh (laughs) i don't want Danzig to be himself (laughs) i don't want any of them to be themselves but Whatever, that's for a different episode. That is for a different episode. The groups of people who normally took a backseat in terms of music or artistry in general were getting their chance to express themselves. And as far as I can tell, they weren't hurting nobody in the process. Yeah. They were just doing their thing. Leaving everybody alone. They just want to do their thing. Just want to fucking dance. Honestly. All of these changes in sexuality and politics in America were unsettling to some people. Those people who didn't like the aloofness they viewed from these folks who were resisting what popular music, quote unquote, should be. Mm. Songs of, quote unquote, substance with, quote unquote, messages. But for real, it's only what these conservatives would deem acceptable. There's messages. It's just, I want to fuck. Yeah. And I just want to have a good time. Yeah. And it is like messages of unity. Like, let's all go out together. 
dance. Have a good time. Tonight. Let's just have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, let's enjoy ourselves, enjoy our bodies, enjoy who we are. That's what it is. Mm. And like, you don't have to do that. No one's saying like, you also must do this. They're saying, well, I'm going to go do that. And they're like, I don't want you to because it looks like you're having fun. How dare you? I'm mad. <laughs> so, so angry. Very angry. There's a lot of angry fucking white people here. God, this is like a theme. Yeah, it's really frustrating. I'm actually kind of just exhausted from researching this and doing the notes. <laughs> okay, so right now we're at the midpoint. Right where Disco's quirky outsiderness was pissing off some of the white men running America, while other white men running America were about to figure out how to capitalize on it and ultimately ruin it. Cha-ching. Dollar sign eyes. The dollar sign eyes are happening. (laughs) They're like, wait a fucking minute. I can make money. And soon Disco will become a over-commercialized, exclusionary thing. But you can roller skate to it. You fucking can, though. <laughs> I have, like, half the reason I wanted to do these episodes because I start roller skating again and yeah. shit, man. But that'll be for the next episode. Aww. Yeah. That's Disco Part 1, folks. All right. Hope you guys learned something. And if I missed something, feel free to let me know. But I will also say I decided not to go too deep into any artist's story because... All of these artists can have their own fucking episodes. Every single yeah. one of them. Yeah, they can. The Donna I, Summer. Someday. Oh my God. Donna Summer would be a really good one to do. And so would Georgia Mordaire. Sylvia sounds interesting. Isaac Hayes. Barry White. Actually, Barry White. I kind of really want to do an episode on him. He was a gangbanger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he was in <laughs> gangs. He banged, oh, okay. he banged gangs. Anyway. <laughs> So okay. yeah, that's that's part one. Come back next week for part two. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. If mm. you are digging this or you are anxiously awaiting the next episode, you can always just go to our website, www.rockcandypodcast.com. Uh, you can always toss us emails from there. At contact us at rockcandypodcast.com. And uh, follow us on social media. We post things. Yeah. We- also from our website, you can get to our... Merch. Tea public page. Yeah, we have sweet merch if you want like a cool shirt or like a bag. Yo, you know what they should make? They should make fanny packs. They should make the fanny fuck. packs. Tea I'm public. A- <laughs> Get on that. And also if you want to just shoot us some money and get some sweet swag in return, you can do that. And you can do that on our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast. And you get a bonus episode every month, yeah. which will be out next week. Yeah. Yeah. Next week. Next week. Yeah. Usually the last week of every month we do a little, little, something, little something. news update and just get mad and talk about the news of the month. And maybe this time we'll actually remember everything that we want to talk about because we always forget. I know. And then we're like searching through our text messages like, what did we want to talk about? Turns out we text a lot and then we text a lot of like articles that don't mean anything. <laughs> But then we we have figured it out. We have figured it tag out. Tag it. Turns out you could tag things you can tag in your messages, things. and then, and then we'll you can up. search for them later. So we got there. It, it's only been three years, but you know what? We figured it out, guys. We fucking did it. <laughs> we totally did it. Oh man! All right. So thanks all for hanging out with us. Indeed. Mm. Can't wait to see y'all next week. And until then, a party on Ashley. Party on Maggie. And party on you, crazy kids out there. 
Never ending hustle. Never ending disco. Do 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 do